Hey, everybody, it's Lee. I know we're heading into the offseason, so we wanted to give a shout-out to our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena, one more time. And again, we have a coupon for $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at hockey.sensearena.com. I always like to remind everybody, I've been using this thing for six months, and I'm just blown away, not just from the VR aspect of it and the virtual reality side of things, but the ability to give different perspectives of the game, whether I'm playing as a goaltender, and I got to admit, it is really hard, but it has really given me a perspective from that point of hockey, which has made me a better coach and a better ice hockey player, or the skater modes, which help you work on cognitive skills and other things like heads-up play that you don't normally get to work on in a practice or a game. So I implore you to check it out. It helps us out. It helps them out. Support our title sponsor, NHL Sense Arena. Get $50 off an annual subscription when you use Hockey Never Stops at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Again, that's Hockey Never Stops. That's the code at Hockey.SenseArena.com. Check it out. And without further ado, enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Hockey. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to this edition of Our Kids Play Goalie, special edition. Again, if you're not a goalie, you're not the parent or a coach of a goalie, don't click off. This show is for everybody. We're trying to actually do more goalie-centric content for everybody so we can better understand the position, but also how to develop the position and understand the position, how it applies to the game. So uh, our guest today for this edition is Dave Starman. Again, uh, I'll do his intro in a few minutes here. Uh, someone you're going to want to follow online. He is very well-versed in college and USA hockey. Um, he's a coach. He was a goalie himself. Um, there's a lot of gold dropped in this episode. I'll just put it that way. So make sure you stay tuned for that, no matter what position your kids play or what you are as a parent or as a coach. Um, also, getting close to the holidays here. Uh, so what the gang and I did uh, is we put together some holiday deals for you. Uh, head over to OurKidsPlayHockey.com to check them out or just email us directly at team at OurKidsPlayHockey.com and just say, hey, I want to know what the holiday gifts are and we'll send you all the information. Uh, we're doing everything from discounted team building, discounted products, discounted books, stocking stuffers, anything. If you're looking for a great deal for you or your team, uh, again, the gang here put some stuff together for you. So just, just shoot us an email and we'll send them over to you. We won't bother you or anything like that. Again, team at OurKidsPlayHockey.com or check out the website, OurKidsPlayHockey.com. But without further ado, enjoy this episode of Our Kids Play Goalie with Dave Starman starting right now. Hello, hockey friends and families around the world, and welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. Lee Elias here with Mike Benelli, and we are going to be hosting a special Our Kids Play Goalie today with a very special guest. If you're a fan of college hockey or USA hockey, you're going to know this man. He spent 11 years as a scout in the NHL, has been heavily involved with USA hockey as an instructor for over 25 years, and has coached the game at the collegiate and youth levels. He also played the game as a goaltender for the University of Hartford and is more than qualified to talk about that position today. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Dave Starman to the show today. Dave, welcome to Our Kids Play Hockey. Good to be back with you guys. It's uh, It's been a long time, and uh, when the three of us get together, there's certainly no shortage of topics. So That's fair. <laughs> I'm looking forward to chatting. So for, for those of you who don't not know this, the, it wasn't the first episode of Our Kids Play Hockey, but one of the very first podcasts we did was with Dave Starman, Lou Vero, and Lou Vero Night. It's a great episode, and you can check it out. It's in our library. Uh, but that that show, Dave, as we were saying in the pre-show, kind of gave birth to this show. So I guess Mike and I should be thanking you a little bit here, because without that show, this doesn't happen. That was a great night. I know we honored Lou Vero uh, on Long Island that night for his contributions to, to hockey, whether it be in New York City, New York State. The coolest thing about that night was the amount of greater New York City alumni and that I was I'm one of them. But it was great to see so many greater New York City stars that were there that night to honor Lou and you know his contributions, obviously, not only the USA hockey, but the hockey in New York City and, and the surrounding area. 
I think sometimes go unnoticed. And this is, this is now a grassroots area, I believe for player mm-hmm. development. And Definitely. he started it. There've been a lot of good players that have come through it. More importantly, there've been a lot of really good coaches that have come through this area that I think have helped foster a lot of player development in many different areas, but obviously it all goes back to Lou. Yeah. Well, we've got two of those great coaches here today with you and Mike, I'll say that right now. And look, like I, I agree with you, that area of New York has definitely uh, put a stamp. It's not, it's not, it's not emerging anymore. Like it's got a stamp. It's got a history. Uh, and again, for those of you listening, make sure you check out that Lou Vero episode that we've done. It was a really fantastic stories. It's one of those you'll walk away from hearing it. But as we said, today's show is an hour of kids play goalie episode. Now, listen, parents, if your kid doesn't play goalie, don't turn this one off because we, we format these for you as well. I know the goaltending parents are out there. Finally, finally a show that does goaltenders. But the, the, again, the mission of this, this version of our show is to kind of talk and have those conversations that are not happening between skaters and goaltenders and coaches and goaltenders and everybody and goaltenders that needed to be happened. Uh, I'm sorry, it needed to happen. And that's why we're doing it. So uh, Dave, I'm going to kind of dive into it. Like everyone's got a unique goaltending story about how they got into it. So here's what I want to know from you real quick. Were you voluntold? to play the position like so many kids or did you flock between the pipes and go, I'm a goalie? A little of each. It was actually my pediatrician that told <laughs> me that I needed to play goal. I was an asthmatic as a kid. And that was the reason that Jacques Plant was probably my early goaltending hero because he had to play goal because he was an asthmatic. And, you know, back then there were medications to control it, but certainly not like today. And, you know, I had a hard time going up and down the ice and keeping my breath. So my doctor, I mean, I, it's funny. I almost remember this basically said to me, either you play goal or you don't play. And that's kind of how I became a goalie. And, you know, I've always joked in goalie presentations that there's a couple different ways you become a goalie. Either A, you're somebody's younger brother and right. need to get shot at. You're an asthmatic. You don't have skates or you were just too heavy to, to, to play elsewhere. You don't want to <laughs> do all that work, right? I mean, that was what we all were between 6 and 12. So I'm on the asthmatic side of that. Well, I'll tell you this. My son's on the asthmatic side of that, and he is really flocking to that position. He's only—he's about to be nine. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm severely intrigued with his intrigue into the position because uh, he, he wants to do it. He wants to practice it. Uh, he's played in a few games. He's really loved it. He's defensively minded. And every, every parent that's a goaltending parent is telling me, your kid's a goalie. And I said, he's, he's eight. Let's just let this play out. I might, I might be fearing the inevitable here. Although I don't have any – I'm one of those parents. If he wants to be a goalie, I got no problem with that. I just want him to love what he does. I'll tell you what, right now he's a hockey player. There you go. See, I love winds up playing will happen. But uh, I firmly believe that at the 8U and even to the 10U level, the most important thing you can do is make sure that your player can skate. And whether or not they're skating in goalie equipment or not in goalie equipment, it's important that they learn balance on their feet, agility, how to get up after they fall down, some of the athletic components that go with skating. Because let's be honest about it. And to me, Joey Decord is – the greatest example of this right now, Joey DeCord is a goalie in the Seattle organization, and his dad, Brian, and I did goalie schools way back when. And his, and his dad, Brian, to me, is the is the best goalie coach on the planet right now, maybe. And But what Joey did was Joey was kind of a skater as, as a kid. And even as he became a goalie, he continued to be a skater. Right. So when you go watch Joey play goal, and he's, I used a lot of his highlights in a goaltending presentation I did on puck retrievals for goalies. Joey can come out of the net, come into the faceoff circle, trap a puck, bring it back with them, cross over, go behind the net, and then make a breakout pass. (laughs) So to me, like, I'm a firm believer that if young players get confidence in their feet, learn how to skate, 
then if they transfer into the net, it's only going to make them that much more effective because still even today, the biggest hamstring I feel of most goalies in terms of their advancement and their contribution to play in the defensive zone is their willingness and ability to go out and get pucks that get dumped in and make plays with the puck. It's a fantastic point. A few things on that. Number one, completely agree with you on the he's a hockey player. We talk about that all the time on the show that at the at the might and squirt level, it's really more about the enjoyment of the game than it is about just pick a position. And then from that, right, making sure that they 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 do have a skating ability. We've talked about this on the show, parents, coaches. The best skater on your team needs to be the goalie, it, especially at the higher levels. You want your goalie to be the best skater on the team. Dave, again, you can comment on that in a minute. The other thing, too, is that, yeah, the, the ability to kind of understand the game and fall in love with the game is so important, right? We talk about that at the youth levels, but it's got to continue. You know, Dave, another thing at the youth levels that we try and develop is a healthy understanding of competition to enjoy competition so it doesn't become a stressful uh, thing later in life, potentially, right? We want them to understand, hey, competing is fun. Um, nobody feels that more than anybody who's playing in net, right? So my question to you, and this is kind of a sideways question, is what are the questions we're not asking, maybe at the younger levels? We'll get into the elite levels soon. What are the questions we're not asking as coaches and parents about goaltenders at that might squirt peewee level? You know what? That's a great question. It's funny because I ask a lot of college coaches that question about their teams and, and them when we're doing conference calls for broadcast, I always ask them like, what's the question you're not getting asked right now right. about your teams. I, I, that's a great question. And as I think about it, what are some of the questions we're not asking? Okay. So number one, I would say is this, why would, why do you want to play goal? And why is it important to be a goalie? That's, you know, part of the discussion, but I think that leads us back to the other question. And that is why is it important to play as a skater prior to playing as a goalie. And I think that doesn't get answered enough. So we, mm -hmm. we kind of covered that a little bit, but I think that's going to get out there. And I think we need to explain to a lot of the youth coaches that you need to have the goalie du jour set up from the time these kids are younger because of the fact that not only are they learning how to move around, but they're also learning the game, but they're also having fun, right? I mean, that's, that's part of it. If you just stick a kid net, think about the soccer goalies or the outfielder in little league baseball. You know, they're not doing a whole lot. So if you get the kid involved as a skater first and as a goalie second, at the very least, they've seen the entire game. So I, I do think we need to address that question. Why is it important to play all positions prior to settling into the position you want to play? It's a great yeah, we, we, we have we've had that. And I do a lot of these rookie leagues and, and learn to play. And, and certainly that that little niche here of like five to eight year olds and you know, one, and there's, you know, the, the evolution of the ability to get goalies in the net quick with like the quick change gear and the opportunity for them to be protected and not be like, you know, you got to remember like six, seven, eight years ago, you'd ask a kid to get in the net in those little cross ice games, but they'd just be in their gear, like in their regular gear. Like, and you're like, right. oh my God, like some, you know, if you really want to get a kid out of the net, put him in a place where he's going to get hurt. You know, and like, I don't, I don't like this. I don't like getting hurt. But now you get all the gear on. They've got the quick change. I mean, in five minutes. They could be in the net, but Dave, that's the exact same, you know, that's the same dilemma I usually give to all these eight U parents is listen, you know, when you go to the next level, when you move up to 10 U and there, you know, you're looking around, like I know in my own little rookie league, you know, we have eight goalies, eight. So when they graduate out of that, now there's only four. So if you don't know how to play other positions or you can't get to the realization that maybe you're not a great goalie, 
or maybe you were the great best goalie, having the options and the ability to interchange at, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years old. And the fact that most of us, you know, if we have goaltenders and you go to a game an hour away and the coach has a philosophy that he wants his goaltender playing the whole game, then maybe you better learn how to skate out so you can participate in the event rather than just sit on the bench and, you know, do the, do the stats. But I think it's just, that's one of the, you know, one of the pieces I, I find um, that's, that's a hard thing for coaches and parents to understand is that the reason we want you playing out is not only, not so much that we think you've got to be a better skater, but, but also importantly that we want you to participate. Like we want you to be in a place where, you know, anytime you come to the rink, uh, you could be you could be very diverse in, in how you help the team. A couple of things on that, guys. And Mike, that's that's a good point. And you know, just just real quick on that. First of all, whoever invented the quick change gear should be in the hockey hall of fame. I mean, that might have been one of the best things that's that's ever and I say that seriously, like that might have been the best thing that ever happened to the message that we have sent that goalie du jour at the younger ages is important because if you can get a kid out of their equipment and into the goalie equipment, or basically just put the goalie equipment over them within two minutes, like now you're cooking with grease. Like, I think that's important. So that's number one. Uh, number two is, Mike, you make a, an interesting point here, and that is, you know, you get that game that's an hour and a half away, and at 10U, those games are, what, 12-minute periods each? And it's funny, Eric Lang, you know, the coach at AIC, who you played for me in junior, and it was always a thinker outside the box. Eric said to me once, he was driving his kid to a youth hockey game from Springfield, Mass, to Boston, 10U game. He goes, I'm driving three hours to watch my kid play for 12 minutes. Now, if you're the backup goalie, you're driving three hours to not play at all. So, yeah, if you can get your backup goalie into regular gear and let them skate out for a game so they can enjoy the competition as well, I think that that's what this is all about. And, I mean, I don't want to digress into how much they're traveling at the younger ages, but, you know, to kind <laughs> of – to kind of, Yeah, but to, yeah. To, to put a bow tie a little bit on just this little topic we have, I think that the ability for players to play multiple positions is important because I think it improves our understanding of the game. That's number one. Number two is, and, and Lee, you talk about questions that don't get asked. I think the question that also doesn't get asked is if you're going to be a goalie, why is it important to use goalie skates? Or when do I put my, my young goalie into goalie skates? That also, question. I think, sometimes goes by the wayside because I'm a firm believer that, yes, you want to keep your regular skates and learn how to play all different positions. And you can play goal at those little ages on your regular skater skates. But to me, once you have decided that your son or daughter is going to play the position, goalie skates is where you need to get into because goalie skates are cut to go side to side. Goalie skates are cut to do the things that the modern goalie is now doing as, you know, not that we weren't doing it, but the modern goalie needs to be on goalie skates because of how much they use their edges and because of how much they use and rely on the full blade being able to touch the ice as opposed to a regular skater skates where only maybe an inch of it is on the ice at any given time with the way that it's rockered. Yeah, and it's all, and it's also the way that now when you go out of the quick change gear into real goalie pads, it's also the way the goalie pads attach to the foot. So I think yes. you have to be aware of, like, that's a big difference in just two pads hanging off a kid's legs to yes. a strategic ability for a kid now to move in goalie pads with goalie skates. And my, one of my pet peeves, so if we go to, if we're speaking to the volunteer dad or mom that's on the ice and, or you have the high school kid that goes out there and you're helping with eight you and the kids in quick change gear and they're wearing their normal skates. I mean, this is where like the, like thinking about, okay, am I ripping pucks on this kid? He doesn't have protective <laughs> feet on. And am I using a blue puck, which is lighter 
but just all those little things where you're thinking about, you know, we don't want to, we, we want the kids to experience the real sport of hockey, um, yep. but we don't want to hurt them. Right. And we don't want a broken foot because I was blasting pucks from the top of the circle on my, my quick change gear yeah. goalie. Yeah. So you I think it's a bad just, day at work. Yeah. Get over just, say, just say, wow, I could get really behind <laughs> this thing and, and feel pretty good about a new stick. Yeah. Yeah. But just a lot of all-stars go top shelf on the AU kids. It's depressive. <laughs> Well, we're gonna get yeah. the net size. We're gonna get the net size in a little bit, but I think, but I think you're right. This is like, you know, it's not your time to uh, to light up the seven year old. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. You know, you know, Dave, you're buzzing up too. I want to kind of get into it. and again for the audience. We will we will talk about kind of elite goaltending in the show as well. But uh, you mentioned earlier about how important it is to get out of the net to experience other positions. I mean, look, this that's kind of a life skill in general. It's not that's not just to hockey, right? Any sport you want to play multiple positions. In life, you want to have multiple jobs and try different things to see what you like, what you don't like. But here's my question for you. Uh, Now, again, I never played goalie, all right? I like to think I have a pretty good grip on the game. But something I know I've never experienced is I've never been in a net for 60 minutes straight, like a full game. And I've never seen... Neither have I. (laughs) (laughs) I've I've never seen the game from that perspective. So... Tell me what the game looks like from the net in a way that maybe as a player, I don't understand and how important it is for the goalie to really understand everything that's going on on the ice. Because, and, and again, this is just the quick side part of this is that I, again, I saw, I saw this in might. I talked to this once before this mother was aggressively coaching her son who was in net with real goaltending advice for a kid. I could tell had no idea that was going on in front of him. He's just, he's too young. Didn't know the game. So she's telling him do this, do that, but he, I, I could see, he wasn't connecting. Why? First off, nobody should be doing that to a kid at eight. But th- there was no connection there. The kid didn't understand the flow of the game yet. So can you this, can you Lee, dive this, into that? Yeah, Lee, yeah. This, Lee, this is the best. I, I will tell you this. I can't tell you how many pro, college, and junior coaches have all talked about keeping the bench calm as games are going on and not really yelling and screaming a ton from the bench because the human brain is not fully developed, doesn't have the capacity to process what it's hearing, and then act upon it mostly ever, but especially at the younger ages. But yet every parent on the planet thinks that they've got this innate skill that by yelling right. at their kid, their kid's automatically going to get better in the three and a half minutes that they're playing that game. It's it's right. I, it's the greatest paradox that I've seen in sports, and it yet continues to happen. Wait, you but- mean that doesn't work, Dave? Is that <laughs> The, the jury, I think. Well, it's, a, it's a proven it's a proven fact. It's a proven fact, and Dave knows this because he's from the New York area. But it, it's a proven fact. If you're in the garden, you yell, shoot, it will they work. They hear you. They hear you. you will. It will work. And Terry Panarin hears it every time. <laughs> See, Barry Beck didn't. That's why he got traded. You remember the old days <laughs> of Park Barry? Barry never listened to Bill Chadwick, so he never, you know, he got traded. But I, I do think that comes to how the game looks from the net. It's funny. I put my keys down an hour ago. I can't remember where I put them. So I'm trying to think back of what this looked like 30 years ago. But but I will tell you this. The perspective that you have when you watch the game from the goal crease is amazing. It really is. Everybody should try it, especially at the higher levels with speed. And 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 I, I think in today's game with some of the more dynamic play that's happening now as opposed to what was going on in the 80s and the 90s, I would love to play a game and goal right now just to see how the game has changed, how much faster it is, mm. how many more lanes get filled with different ways, the different offensive tactics and different ways that we're defending against the rush or defending against the offensive zone play. But the, the thing that you see is the depth perception of the game. You get to see spacing. You get to see speed. 
You get to see where space opens and closes. And to me, that was the, the best part of it. But the other challenge always was, remember, there's three to four feet behind the net that you can't see when you're looking forward. And mm. there's, let's say, 196 feet you can't see when you're looking backwards. So the great challenge always was, how do I know what's going on behind me or what's going on in front of me if I'm looking a different way? And that, to me, was always the great challenge of playing goal. Now, one, one great trick I learned, and this is for the goalies that are out there now, sometimes when you look behind the net, there's play going on behind the net, and you want to know what's going on in front of you. The, your peripheral vision, you can't use it at that point because your head is too turned. If you look in the glass behind the net, it's a great mirror. You can mm. generally see what's going on in front of you by looking at the, the glass because the glass is a great reflector. So now it tends to happen better more in empty buildings than in crowded buildings. So at the youth level, this is a better trick than at the higher levels. But, but that was always one way you were able to kind of use the eyes in the back of your head by using the ones that were in front of your head. I, but I'll tell you this, and it's the same thing from a scouting perspective. Whenever I scout, I like to sit up either behind nets or in corners. I think the ability to see how lanes get filled, how spacing develops, and how depth gets created and used was to me the best thing about being in a goal crease and watching the game unfold around you. Yeah, you know, I'm a believer so, that to learn the game, to truly learn the game, you got to experience it from every position possible. I, you know, I said great defensemen understand offense, great offensemen understand defense. And um, again, I don't think we utilize that goaltending position enough as a way to learn the game. And, and just, you know, that mirror trick works when you go into the corners as well. I use that all the time <laughs> in my adult league still just to see is some some uh, overzealous guy going to try and take out his high school frustrations on me right now. Um, <laughs> but I've been lucky so far. Mike, go ahead. I saw you were going to have a question. No, no, it's, it's just really cool that you're, the, the stuff that you're mentioning is, is one of the reasons I use. Uh, so I use a product called Sensorina, which is actually a big uh, NHL tool right now, which is the guy, the players can be in a, in a virtual environment, you know, in a headset and see, you know, one of the things I thought was really cool when I was trying this out was, you know, you could go into pro mode, and you're standing in the net and, and it's an actual pro hockey player shooting the puck. And it's just the amount that the speed of the puck coming by you and having to react to it is unbelievable for a goalie. Like if you have a 12 year old goalie or a 14 year old goalie now to put them in a pro mode, not to belittle them, but just to give them a perspective of, you know, what a, 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 sh a rising shot looks like, what a, you know, what your depth is and where you are. And it gives you an opportunity to kind of, you know, in this in this modern world where we didn't get that opportunity, you know, years ago was to put a kid in a, in a situation and us to put them in that environment um, quicker and then let them kind of figure it out from there. But I, I do I, I, lo I love the fact that what you're speaking about is, you know, just, a, you know, when you were when we put our goaltenders in these situations and, and I think a lot of it hits on age appropriateness. Right. Is maybe I don't want to be ripping pucks past my eight year old goalie. To, to make him better and react quicker because it's just not realistic. Like the, the, the ability for them to track and have success is more important than if they could jump in the way of a puck and, and stop it. I'll, I'll two things on that, Mike, because those are good points. Number one is I, I, here's what's interesting. I had no problem being in the crease and being in front of shots that were 90 to hundred miles an hour. I never, I mean, sometimes you're not fast enough to keep up with them, but you can track them and you can get yourself in a position where you can stop them. And th there's a science to it. And you get used to it as time goes on, right? I mean, you, it, everything is adaptive. But I'll get into a batting cage with a machine that pitches 60 miles an hour. And I'll tell you what, that 60 miles an hour at times looks a lot faster than the 100 miles an hour puck that's coming at me from that same distance. Why? Well, part of it is where I'm standing. I'm looking at it from a different angle. Part of it is it's starting at a higher level versus coming from the ground going up. 
So everything is relative. But I, I do that with a lot of goalies too. I'm like, you know, you get into a batting cage and see the difference in speed from the different trajectories. And same thing with baseball players to hockey. I mean, it, it's all speed is one thing, but where you're processing it and how you're processing it is, is a whole different story. So I, I do think that's always been a good exercise for, for people to understand, again, speed, depth perception, and, and tracking. That's, that's one way it's the same speed, but it's certainly two different looks at, at what's going on. And, you know, then with some of your younger kids, like I'm the, I'm the goalie coach for the Long Beach Sharks, which is a team in the NA3. And, and, you know, I've worked with a lot of older goalies too, whether it be college kids or junior kids. And when it comes to the speed of the shots, like to me, I, I mean, I can't shoot the puck as hard as the kids that they're playing against. So I don't even try my thing with the goalies. When you talk about tracking, I would rather shoot at a lower speed and work on their technique and then let the players shoot at the speeds that these kids are realistically going to face in game situations. I've never felt like it was a really good idea for somebody like you who can shoot the puck pretty well to shoot on 12 year olds. Like you'd be shooting on an 18 year old because that 12 year old's never going to see a shot. That's going to be that hard. They're never going to have to react that fast. And they can't process the way the 16 year old can, right? Remember the old great USA hockey line an 18 year or an eight year old's not half a 16 year old. Well, that's all part of it. So to me, whatever you're working with, you brought up the word age appropriate. And I think that's important. Whatever age you're working at, as you, the coach, you can put pucks towards the goalie so that the goalie can work on their technique and their tracking and be in different situations. But when it comes to the game situational type stuff, the kids on your team have to be the ones that are shooting because that's going to be the speed that those kids are facing in game competition. All right. So I, I want I, before we get off the youth hockey topic, and, and I know because obviously we could talk about this the whole time, but I, I and I don't think we want to. So I just want to ask you just from my perspective, because I'm always not I'm not I don't say it's arguments, but I'm always having a philosophical back and forth of where we are right now at the youth hockey level with 10 U goalies. So let's, 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 let's just even make it easier. It's an eight U goalie. Right. And the fact that we have the ability to put a kid into a NHL size net and a intermediate age appropriate size net right. and then where not only that goalie and i always speak and i and i try to hide it by saying well i don't even give a crap about the goalies because we got plenty of goalies so you know we, we, i don't care about the goalies development i care about the shooters development so if i'm putting a, a if i'm putting a 8u goalie in a regulation size net is that helping me as a shooter because i'm scoring goals that are that are basically you know, flopping over a goalie's shoulder and I'm lofting it over their head and they can't cover from side to side. So doesn't it go both ways? The goalie's development is stunted, in my opinion, and the player's shooter is stunted? Or is that just, ah, that's just, that the kids will get it when they get it. Oh, come on, Mike. We can't take away little Johnny's ability to score 50 goals at 8U. I mean, that's, <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, that takes away the spirit of the game here. You know, if, if right, I know if we the want to score a lot of goals. Office. I know, I know, I know, we want to score a lot of goals. But is giving that but kid they, an extra ten feet of space to shoot at better or worse for a shooter? Dave, I, I, I tasted the sarcasm. I'm not sure. I'm just tasting. <laughs> well, well, I'm very. Listen, no, I, I, full disclosure. I'm very intimidated already by by the fact that you have two professional radio voices here, and I'm squealing and squealing. You've got a radio voice. No, Mike. I know, but I can't. I can't keep up with you two guys. So I'm just going to listen more. But I and, and just yeah. ask less. But again, this is a this is I need ammunition going into my you know these next sessions and saying pull out get the get the get get the get the, the storkin net off the ice and put out give me an intermediate net. All right, let's go. Let's go with this. I'm going to answer this a couple of different ways because it's funny. I, I've I've answered this question a few times, but I'm actually going to 
improvise as I go along here. So bear with me and let's see if we can make some sense out of this. Let's start here. I do think that goalies need to be in age-appropriate nets, and I do think that there is a place for age-appropriate nets in youth hockey. There's no question. Amen. Because the fact that a 10-year-old could put the puck upstairs on a goalie that's three and a half feet tall doesn't impress me. So, And I don't think it does much for the player either. It's the same reason why we talk about with, with might hockey about playing cross ice. Why? Because the better players basically are touching the puck all game and nobody else's. So now once you go to the 10U thing, if you're using age-appropriate nets, really the challenge and the development component it's better because can that 10 you now find space in the net on a goalie that's appropriately filling that space, right? To me, that's a better challenge than the 10 you who could just put the puck upstairs because they're right. a little bit more advanced than some of the other players. So that's number one. Here comes the other part of it for the goalie and their development. If they don't have to necessarily worry about the net behind them, they probably are going to do a whole lot better. And I'll tell you what, at eight, you and 10, you, I can't tell you how many times I work on shooting drills with younger goalies where I don't even put them in a net. I just put them against the wall. So if the puck goes past them, all I have to do is bring it back and start over again. And they don't have to deal with the dynamic of the net behind them. Sounds ridiculous. It really isn't. Because now all that kid in net is doing is working on technique and not necessarily worrying about getting scored on. Now you bring the age-appropriate net back where that kid feels more confident in just trying to be where they're supposed to be and demonstrate enough athleticism to at least stay in front of a puck that you're probably doing them more of a favor in their development component because they're not constantly fishing pucks out of the net that went over them. And for the shooters, guys, do you remember way back when Jim Park was a goalie coach in Toronto back in the 80s and the 90s? And he did a video called The Shooter's Illusion. I think I still have the VHS tapes of this thing laying around somewhere. And he demonstrated what the shooter sees, Mm -hmm. what the puck sees from different areas of the ice. And then we turn it around teach the goalies that same thing what does the what do the eyes of the puck see and what does the shooter see he did that with string right like he put string on the, the there was some tony, string, he, tony has that yeah. he brings that yeah. thing out right dave in our long island clinics yeah totally easy does yeah absolutely but but in this video and i've done this with a lot of guys too if you can show them what the puck sees versus what the shooter sees and then what you need as the goalie to be aware of as the guy is winding or the girl is winding up for that shot that really helps If you do it on a smaller age-appropriate net versus doing it on one of the bigger nets, it really teaches the younger shooters exactly what is open and what's not relative to the size of the goalie because they're going to have to learn that skill as they get older because when they're 16 and they're shooting at a six-footer, there's not going to be a quarter of the net available to them that they're seeing on a three-foot goalie and a four-by-six net. So to me, my long-winded answer, I kind of went – a little around the horn here, but there is no question, no question that skill development will accelerate in age-appropriate nets at the younger levels. Shooters will be more challenged. Goalies will get more comfortable. Yeah, I, and I, I, my problem is I always think of it, and I, and I hate to use this in the sport, in sports, is common sense. And I, I'm like, well, if a kid goes paddle down and he's, and he's like going post to post in a, in a mini net, that looks like a real goalie. Right. Like that yes, kid now, this kid's paddled down. He's going net. To, he's going post to post in a in a in a regular a, a regulation net, and the puck still goes by him. He's like, I was in perfect position. Yeah, but there's four more feet on either side of you that you can't cover. So I you want I, a great I, one. Hey, let's, I'll give you a great one. So we just adopted two kittens recently, and we've got two bigger cats. And I took a picture of one of the kittens, which is eight weeks old, on this humongous cat con cat condo. And I took a picture of the 12-year-old cat on the cat condo, and I showed it 
to a couple of people. I said, what looks more appropriate? What looks like it fits better? Like if you look at the kitten on this humongous cat condo, they're invisible. You look at the big cat on the cat condo, it looks like it belongs there. Yeah. And yeah, that to Dave, me was the if, that, if you put food on the top of that cat condo, condo <laughs> and, that pl- and that cat had to struggle and fight and figure it out how to get up that cat con- and, 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 and hold on and claw and claw. And maybe, maybe you had to give a little push to get up there. But you know what? It got better because it had a struggle and now or it fell off and mm. broke its neck. So I think it's just about a matter of I think it's just a matter of <laughs> what, so are extreme, you, what, what are we what are we putting what are we put like where can we make it successful? We talked about it earlier. If I if I want a successful goalie, if I want kids to gravitate a position, I can't just give them cool colored helmets and and really snappy gloves. I've got to give them an opportunity for success. So if I'm in a real in a in a net that's the size that it's a reason it's the same reason why across the world. You soccer players play in smaller nets, right? Let because me, hold on, let me, let me, let me, they can have let me success. challenge you for one second on this point, Mike. Let me challenge you for one second on this point. No, so that, that that player, right, that player who's shooting on the mini net or that kitten that's got to get to the top of the cat condo, what are they trying to do? What are the three words that I love to use all the time when you and I talk about, about the game? What do they have to do in order to be successful? They have to figure it out. And I'm a big believer that the figure it out component has gotten away from us a little bit because first of all, coaching is so much better now than it was when we were playing. So, and we all want to coach and we all want to teach and we all want to mentor. It's a parent skill. It's a coaching skill. It's a teaching skill. We all get it, but we need to allow the figure it out component to become a part of this. That's why three on three cross ice hockey to me is the greatest thing ever as a teaching tool, because it's positionless. You got to figure it out. Right. Right. I think the same thing applies right here. If you're a 10 year old and you're shooting at a smaller net, you got to figure out where to score. If you're a 10 year old shooting at a four by six net, all you got to do is get the puck to the net. More than likely it's going to find a way to go in. Right. Yeah. And and that's my only argument is that, is that where we, how can we make it more challenging and more age appropriate and make it look like the game of hockey. Right. And then, and then let them figure it out. Say, Oh my God, I can't believe And nobody, listen, does anybody want to want to watch a Mike cross ice game? That's two to one. Probably not. Like, you know, oh, you know, I do. I mean, <laughs> no, but I know, but parents don't. Yeah, that, no, they that, don't. You know how bad that looks on Facebook? My kids scored one of the two goals. In the oh, see, well, Mike, this is where I'm going to jump in, right? Because here's the thing. There's a whole other side to this, which is, you know, questions that we're not asking ourselves as parents. I'm taking the coach out of myself for a second. You know, look, Dave, you brought it up. You know, the kid scores 50 goals on a gigantic net, right? The parents need to be asking deal. themselves. Yeah, like, who's that making feel good? You and your well, kid. scored 50 more goals than the other right. kid. And, and the thing is, look, look, here's the other thing about hockey. Uh, I've seen plenty of 19-16 Mike games. That's not normal. It's not supposed to be that way in hockey. Again, I know it might feel great when your kid has seven goals. But, David, as you said, it, it's not extremely impressive when you have a, a very short goalie and your kid just knows how to lift the puck. It, I'm not taking anything away from your kid's skill or the way they work on the ice. But development-wise, you're not helping them. So I think as parents, we have to often, as we talk about this on the show all the time, is, is this making me feel good or is this the right thing to do? All right. And, and they, probably perfectly figure it out. You got a small net. Look, Steve Shutt. I love, I, I played with Steve Shutt a bit when I was in Florida. I'm thinking this guy, this guy knows how to score, right? Let me talk to this guy. And I, I asked him, okay, what's your secret? Like, what do you do when you shoot? And he looks at me dead in the eye. He goes, yeah, you know what I, I do is I, I just shoot where the goalie isn't. That's what he said to me. And I go, you know. Old Yogi Berra line, right? But it's, yeah, it, it, yes, and the most profound <laughs> advice I think I ever got. He's totally right. So here's the thing. When you got a gigantic net in front of you with a little kid in it, 
it, it's very easy to shoot where the goalie isn't. Okay. But you're not going to develop. You get a small net. You really got to find those little areas and you're doing that at eight, nine, 10. You are going to develop a lot faster. You're going to have skills that you don't typically have. Also, you're probably going to save your kid from the pain of moving up a level and that his 50 goals or her 50 goals are not a big deal at the next level because every coach knows what's happened. Plus you're facing goaltenders three times the size. So I am a huge fan. Mike, I'm supporting you on this hundred percent, huge fan of age appropriate nets for multiple reasons, not just goaltenders, but forwards, defense and everybody. Right. And then Dave, like you said, you put them against the wall, find other methods to develop your goaltenders. It doesn't always have to be the get in the net and stop the puck. That is so that is so caveman-esque. <laughs> Just go stop the puck. It is so much more than that. Uh, and, and we need to make the investment as coaches specifically to educate ourselves more, especially if you're a youth coach, a young kid coach. Take some time to educate on how to develop that position for all of your kids. Right. And if kid flocks to me, flocks to it. Mike, go ahead. Mike, no, I just, Mike I just by the way, say, I, you I have just, a great voice. I want I you just, to know that. I'm not going to allow you to beat yourself. I would up just up like hey, before, I, By I the way, just... before we get too far away from the Steve Shutt thing, Mike, after you make your point, I got a Steve Shutt no, story you're going to love. It now. So tell it now. Tell it now so I don't run out of time. Go. So, my first NHL game ever on air, myself and Kenny Albert were doing Islanders radio. It's like 92. I think Barry Landers, who was doing. Islanders radio normally was at the Olympics and Kenny was filling, you know, Kenny and I were doing the Baltimore skipjacks at the time. So, you know, we get called up and it's a Saturday night game at the Montreal forum. Islanders are Canadians. And I'm in the press box before the game, sitting in the radio booth, getting ready. And behind the radio booth is this long table with a couple of small refrigerators and snacks and some stuff like that during the game. And there's a guy standing there right by the refrigerator with where the juice was in this light blue blazer. Now, if you remember back to the old Montreal Forum, all the ushers wore light blue blazers. I'm thinking it's an usher. And I didn't want to overstep my boundaries. I didn't know if you were allowed to go into the fridge or something. I, you know, you never know, right? So I turned to the guy and I said, hello, sir, can you do me a favor and grab me a grapefruit juice? And he looks at me, he goes, get it yourself. And he walks away and I'm like, that was a little rude. And Kenny looks at me, he goes, idiot, that's Steve Shutt. <laughs> yeah. So I think of Steve Shutt, I think of that. I hope no. he remembers that. No, I'm just kidding. That, that's that's. Uh, I mean, hey, well, look, maybe he should have been willing to light blue blazer. That doesn't do when you fit in with the crowd. But Mike, go, Mike, go ahead. <laughs> now, I just, I just from the youth hockey side of this conversation, I just wanted to say, and I'm not anti elite hockey players either. Like, like if your kid's scoring 50 goals, no, this thinking about an age appropriate setting and challenging you is challenging the in everyone. So the kid that's elite, the kid that's the best, the kid that's still going to go on to be that great goal scorer will still go on to be that great scorer. It's not going to hold them back. But if you can get a kid, sorry, if you can get a kid to get into a position where now they're challenging and thinking like, wow, I got to, I got to laser beam that puck as opposed to looping the puck and flipping the puck and, 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 and lofting the puck. Now that the technique is right. And and today's point, there are kids that can rip pucks. Listen, he's probably sees it every day in Long Beach. There's kids that are at eight years old that are just just you know frozen rope into the corner of the net. But how can we get the? How can we help the greater good? But how can we help that player have the proper technique? Like if I was watching a Tim Turk video right now, I've never seen him teach. You know, one of the greatest shooting coaches in the world. I've never seen him teach shooting the puck off your back foot and flipping it off your your stick going up. Right. And that's how most might goals are scored. And I think, you know, I think if we could teach the kids earlier how to be in those proper positions to shoot and leverage, you know, 
uh, you know, momentum and, and cadence and timing. Then now as they become, as they, as they get into a bigger net, that puck is going there quicker. And I think it, it will, and it just will enhance their shooting at an exponential rate. Uh, and one more note for me on that, Mike, and I, I want to preface this with, I'm all about creativity in hockey. I, I like for play, players to be creative, especially at home and have fun. But this is how, and I've seen this, you get an eight-year-old to stop trying to practice a Michigan from behind the net and start practicing. You know what? I'm not great at deking. I'm not great at moving the goalie. I'm not great at picking a corner. Um, and again, I, I, wanna re- I don't have any problem with kids practicing Michigans, right? It's a fun thing to do. But I do think when I see a kid doing that that doesn't have a okay wrist shot, I start asking questions of, of what are we doing here, right? So I, I just think it will help enhance the ability for young players to say, I need to work on this as well. Right. I don't want to, again, I don't want to stunt anybody from having fun in the game. Uh, Dave, before we move on, any comments on that before I, I go into something else here? No, no, no. I, I think, I think you nailed it. It's that you've got to teach a diversity of skill. I do think that shinny and open hockey and sticks and pucks have a role in the game because players can just kind of go out and try things. I do yeah. think that's important. But to, I think to kind of bottle the egg on on this one, you're going to have those kids that at the younger ages that are a little bit more advanced than some others, and they're going to run into the brick wall a little bit more as they get older and everybody catches up to them. Mm-hmm. The, I think the biggest thing is for coaches, especially with those young phenoms or those young superstars, if you utilize them for your own personal good in terms of just winning games and you don't teach them the complete game, then you're doing that player a disservice. Because I cannot tell you how many great players I've seen at the major junior level or the college level or or even 18U that were really, really good offensive players that no coach ever decided to say to them, hey, we got to teach you how to play defense too here. You might have to sacrifice a little bit of offense to be a better two-way player for the good of the team and for the good of your future career. And I'll, I'll share this story real quick before we move on, quick 60 seconds. In 1999, near Dallas won the Stanley Cup. I was with the Macon Whoopie at the time as the associate head coach. John Parrish Jr. was our head coach. John and I were sitting in our offices after we'd been eliminated from the playoffs. And John and Ken Hitchcock were pretty friendly. So John called Hitch to wish him good luck in the playoffs as Dallas was was about to head through. What was the year they won the cup? Was it 99 or was it 2000? No, it was 99. 99, yeah. They, 99, yeah. Okay, they so that was year. So, <laughs> yep. So, okay, so that yeah. was the year. So so we're all kind of chatting. And John says, well, you know, Hitch, good luck. And, and Hitch says – John, here's what it boils down to. If Mike Medano buys in and becomes a 200-foot player we've been trying to develop, no one's going to stop us. We win the cup. But if Medano focuses on just playing offense and and plays it one way, we are out in the first round. Well, and look what happened. And I think you've seen that with so many NHL superstars, absolutely. whether it be Medano or Iserman, Iserman. or Ovechkin. Or Crosby. You go through the yeah. list. Right, Crosby, you go through yeah. the list of these elite, elite NHL players, and it's their transition to the 200-foot game where they maybe sacrificed 20 points for the sake of preventing 20 points elsewhere that defines a, the great coach and B elevates the great player. So I do think that that's an important message for coaches. And, and just to compliment your story, uh, a lot of younger fans won't remember. They used to call Steve Eiserman, Stevie wonder because he would score so much and he would do so much the years. They won the cup. One of the best defensive players in the league, the year no Ovechkin won the cup, his best defensive year ever. He has since abandoned that for obvious reasons. The year, uh, the year's Penguins won the cup. Everybody was complaining. How how come Crosby's getting the MVP? He's not scoring. You didn't watch his two-way play. And I am not a Penguins fan saying that. And I'll also no, say to all the Buffalo fans out there, we're sorry for bringing up the memory, but the cup <laughs> is over. Dallas did win that cup. 
Brett Hall scored I still, that I, goal. I still, I'm on the disputing side. I, I, I think it needs to be reviewed. Okay. But we, you know what? Let's get all those 99 players <laughs> out there again. I'd love to see them play. Get Hasek out. and No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. I was about to say just, you know, and, and to me, just to, to, to sum up those great two-way centers, like to me, Brian Trotchy, I'll go to my grave saying Brian Trotchy is the best two-way center ever to play the game. Absolutely. Like he defined to me the guy that could play in both ends and play nasty and play smart and, and drive a line. And I mean, Brian Trotchy will always go down, in my opinion, as the best two-way center. And there's a reason Steve Eiserman took 19 when he played. That was right. his tribute to Brian Trotchy, who was the model that he grew up and eventually became as a player. Yeah, and, and we've done stuff with him too. Brian Trotchy is a great human being overall. Now, I do have to bring this back to goaltending. It's the name of the show today. Yep. So so uh, I got a couple of questions. So look, we're going to jump into, jump into mental fitness in a minute too. We're big proponents of that. But I have to ask you this. So for those that you maybe maybe you don't know, Dave has seen an amazing amount of really, really great top-level college goalies. You've also been involved in some of what I consider to be the greatest moments in USA hockey history uh, with World Juniors and, and other events. I, I, I told you my affinity for that last time I was with you, that, that you've been at some of the life-changing moments for me. So you've seen a lot of goalies. I want to know what you think is the separator of a position where only two of these men or women get to sit on a bench what gets those players to that point? What is the difference? Is it just skill? Is it mental? Is it the type of people they are? What separates the best from people who don't get to that level? The it factor is what separates them. And the it factor is that combination of elite level skill and physically. And now the physical skill has to be there. And I've seen a lot of great goalies that have fallen a little bit short because the bad goal rattled them or because they couldn't rise to the challenge under the pressure or they just weren't – they couldn't shake something off to be in peak mental performance for a game. I've also seen some goalies that I thought were lights out mentally, nothing bothering get run over the afternoon of a game and still go play, wouldn't matter. But yet, on the physical side, there were just holes in their game. I, it's it's, And then you get a little bit of the luck factor too. Like I think you can make your own luck, but luck is – Luck's a part of it. Don't get me wrong. If you go look at all those great gold medal wins at the World Juniors, like go through a lot of those games, there's some puck luck involved in there too, where a shot hit the post or something had escaped by accident or whatever. I mean, I think that's part of it. But to me, it's that that great combination of how to play the position, the goalie IQ component, knowing where to be in the crease, depth in the crease, and and where situational goaltending, how to play certain situations versus just defaulting to one or two particular moves and hoping the puck finds you. It's being able to know how big you are and use that size or how big you're not and how to make up for it. Rebound control. But I also think that that ability to stare adversity in the face and recognize who you are through it, that's important. So you give up maybe one leaker early on in the game and then you are lights out the rest of the night. You give up two in a first period of a huge game and then you shut the door or from the beginning of a game, you realize your team's struggling and you stop everything you need to, like Ken Dryden used to, to give your team a chance to find its heels and, and get its game moving North quick. So I, to me, it's, it's not really rocket science, but it's, it's an elite level skill to be able to combine the strength mentally with the skill physically. And then you throw in what I think is the missing ingredient with a lot of goalies. And that is goalie IQ. And goalie IQ can make the difference between that 19-year-old or 20-year-old goalie that's winning a gold medal at the World Juniors 
and that 19 and 20 year old that's playing in the NA3 and wondering what happened. Mm. Yeah, Dave. So, yeah, I love this. So, so I think it's a matter of, I mean, but all these things, right? All these intangibles, all these it factors, all the all the pieces you're talking about with our with our modern goaltenders right now, our our 16, 17, 18 year old goaltenders. And this is what I see from the players that I work with that that a lot of them um, feel like this is like they're a gamer, like that they don't have to have those qualities in practice. So what, what's one advice you could give to these players that, that, you know, I think all the things you just talked about, except for maybe just pure athleticism and, and God given talent are learned pieces of their game are things they can control and they can contribute to uh, by learning and, and, and fostering that environment. And what would you give for advice for these, you know, 16 to 19 year old goalies on how they can approach that in practice to help them get to that? One, one thing I want to dissect for a second, I don't believe in God-given talent. I think you can be a good athlete based on your genetics and some training component. I, but I think nobody is a natural goalie. Nobody's a natural goal scorer. Nobody's a natural running back. I mean, you, those are all things that have to get developed as you as you go along based on whatever genetic athleticism that you happen to be born with. And I think we can prove that there are just some kids that wind up being better athletes than others. And it, and it has to do with the genes that they are that they're born with. So that's number one. On the practice thing, you just nailed it. I, I can't tell you how many kids will say, well, I got to get a good night's sleep because I got a big game tomorrow. Well, think about it. Unless you're the goalie who hopefully is going to play the whole game, you know, at the older levels that you're not going to get knocked out of it because you stink. But with the with the philosophy sometimes, it's, well, I've got to be on top of everything. I got to be rested and hydrated and fed properly and clear my mind because it's a game tomorrow realistically, you might play 12 minutes in that game. You get on the ice for an hour and a half practice, you're on the ice for an hour and a half. Practice should be a lot harder, more challenging, more demanding physically, mentally, emotionally than a lot of games are. And way too many kids are like, well, it's only practice tomorrow night, so I don't have to get a great mm. night's sleep. And, you know, I, I whatever, I, I don't have to drink as much water or I don't have to eat properly. Or, I mean, that's nonsense. You, you, habits that you form early become the lifeblood of what you wind up doing later. And if you don't build in the habit of practice means something and practice is important and practice has to get prepared for, there's no way you get to the levels that we're talking about. It's, it's, it's impossible. It's the outlier maybe, but for 99.5% of the others, there, there's no chance. So that is something that, and parents to me are to blame as much as anybody for this, because the parent will be like, well, do this, do that, do this. It's only practice night. Don't worry about it. And if you get to practice 20 minutes for practice, you just get dressed real quick. That's not that big a deal. Oh, that's nonsense. Because if you don't stretch before a 90-minute practice where you're going to play 90 minutes, if you don't get there in time and you're not properly hydrated and fed and you get there and you just kind of ad lib it and wing it and get dressed real quick and whatever, that's when you're going to get hurt. That's when you're not going to be very good. That's when you're going to have other things on your mind. You're rushing. You're not mentally prepared. So the mental component, physical preparation for practice has got to be as good, if not better, than what you're doing for games the games is the final exam. The practice is the classroom. And if you're not prepared for the classroom, there's no way you pass the final. Yeah, and I think that's my point, is that's a learned behavior. You just don't wake up one day as a 17-year-old and go, oh, yeah, well, I, I know how to do those things. Like this, this is like, this is where our kids need to start saying, well, don't worry if those guys think you're a wacko or, or, or and it's forwards and goalies. Like just knowing that you're preparing for practice 
because that's your competition. Yeah, that's that the me. time when you get ninety <laughs> to one hundred, one hundred and fifty shots on net. I think I think a lot of uh, a lot of coaches forget. And and Dave, to your point, and maybe it's because we're not educating the parents enough to let them know, like my practice is so important that you need to treat it like it's the biggest competition of your life Amen. every time you come to the rink, because yeah. that's how you're training your brain and training your body and training your preparation. So that to your point, when you get to the game, it's like, okay, well, this is now, this is fun. This is the fun part. Like I did. Hey, Lee, all, Mike, did I'll, I'll tell you, let me share a great story for you. Cause this kind of, this proves it at the, at the college level. There's a kid who's playing for the university of Nebraska, Omaha right now. His name is Johnny Tyconic. He's a draft choice of the Ottawa senators. He's our, I mean, he's a special defenseman. He can play. Now he was at the university of North Dakota back when North Dakota was loaded. And just about all of that defense court, North Dakota, when he was there has matriculated to the national hockey league. I mean, you're talking about, uh, I think he preceded Jake Sanderson, but he probably caught a little bit of him. And uh, Tyler Clevin is another one who's going to be, you know, in the big leagues. I mean, they got a whole bunch of Jerome, uh, Bernard Dockers is another one. So, I mean, they got a lot of guys there that were on that defense court. And Tyconic transferred mostly because he knew that he needed to play more. And there was just not enough minutes for him to play at North Dakota. But when he got to Omaha, his coach is Mike Gabinet, And Mike's grandfather, Claire Drake, is a hockey hall of famer as a coach. And Mike said that the lesson that John Taconic learned at that level was that it's also cool to do the right thing. It's cool to prepare for practice. It's cool to not go out the night before knowing that you've got work to do the next day school-wise and that you need your rest for practice. It's cool to show up 90 minutes before practice so you can get a stretch and get on your roller and roll out your muscles and, and get a warm-up and get on the ice with a little bit of perspiration on and maybe talk to a coach about an issue. The bottom line was it's cool to do the right thing and to lead by example. I think a lot of younger players are afraid to do it because they're not empowered to do it. Mm -hmm. But I think it's an important lesson. Uh, personally, I'm thrilled to see that my son has subscribed to that lesson. Uh, the one that's the non-athlete and the one that is the athlete. I'm glad to see that, that they have bought into this and they've been around me. So they've seen the life lessons through my career and the people that I've interacted with. But parents, I can't give you a more important message than if you're if you're not buying into the fact that your season is a full-time thing and practice means as much as the games, if not more so, then you are depriving your child of the ability to take the next step that in many cases you might want them to do more than they do. But if they want it, they will determine that it's cool to do the right thing. And, and these, these lessons you're talking about go well beyond hockey. I want everybody to understand that you can apply Dave. You're, let's just use you as an example. I highly doubt you show up to a broadcast unprepared. I highly, <laughs> you know what I mean? I highly doubt you just show up and go, Who we, who's playing tonight, right? I got to figure this out. So it, it, it applies to everything. I, I, I took some notes here. I want to talk about a few things. One is on the, the, it's cool to be prepared. Look at the best athletes in any sport. Kobe Bryant, Nate McKinnon, Crosby. They practice hard. Michael Jordan, they practice harder than anyone, right? They understand that practices have to be hard so the games are easy. That is that is something I really subscribe to as a coach. Um, at every level, obviously, hard at might is different than hard at midget. Okay, but absolutely, idea, yep. You are here on time. You will do the drills effectively. We will take the time we need to perfect them or get good at them, right? But we're not going to show up late. We're not going to not care. We're not going to be disrespectful. I'm talking kind of the younger level right now. Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's a thing that coaches, parents and kids all need to work on together. I'll, I'll give you a great one. But, uh, my, my son hangs up his gear after every practice. How'd you get him to do that? It's a habit. 
from day one, he hung his gear up. So now it is a habit and I've never let him get out of it, you know, barring him not feeling well or something like that. It's a habit. Um, build those habits. We need to be there on time. You need to have a good snack. You know, it's again, depending on the, depending on the age. Um, other things you, you tapped on, Dave, I want to talk about this. You talked about um, the talent needed. It's undeniable. You need talent to play at a high level. But as you said, that talent is developed through practice, through different things. You talked about having a high goalie IQ or just a high IQ in general. You can study to get that. That's something you can learn through experience. The third one, this is what I want to tap on here, is the mental aspect. We do almost nothing, not a little bit, almost nothing to help kids learn self-esteem at a young age, mental fitness. There is still a stigma surrounding this for some reason that, that we're all trying to break. It is getting better, right? But we do not do enough on the mental side of the game or really life in general at young ages to teach kids, as you said, let me explain to you what self-esteem is. So when the puck goes by you, you can mentally prepare at a young age, not an older age, to understand this is going to happen. How are you, to use your words, going to stare adversity in the face and overcome it? Because there is a larger lesson at play there that is going to make your son or daughter successful beyond hockey, whether they go through a Hall of Fame career in the NHL or not. So, Dave, my question to you is, what can we do? What are the things we're missing? What do we need to do to make that part of the game more important? How can we train it, and, and how should we be looking at it? I'll lead into it with, with this little story because it kind of sets it up really well, and it's, and it's something that I've now used with, with a lot of young goalies. This might have been 10 years ago. What are we, in 23? So it's about 12 years ago. Uh, there was a goalie at Michigan. His name was Sean Hunwick. He was, a, he was Matt Hunwick's little brother. So basically, he was a walk-on at Michigan as a favor to, to Matt. And Sean was a decent goalie in his you know, junior career, but basically because Matt was there, Sean was now near as the number three, and he was playing behind, I think, Billy Sauer and Brian Hogan. And Brian Hogan gets hurt in a game against Notre Dame, and Hunwick has to come in and play. And it was the first college action Hunwick had seen. I think he was a junior at the time. And he stood on his head and had a really good game against Notre Dame. So now, two nights later, and I'm broadcasting the game two nights later, they play at Notre Dame, and he got shelled. And after the game, he sat down with the coaching staff and was obviously, okay, where is this going here with Sean? And Sean went through the goals that got scored on him and had an answer for every goal. Hey, they made a really good cross-ice play here. I had it tracked. It just went up over my shoulder. I was too low. On this one, I misread it a little bit. I was a little deeper in the crease than I wanted to be. I gave up too much room for my size, and I saw it go by me. He, he, would, he had an answer for every one of them because he could visualize them again what had happened because of that. And because of that mental strength, Sean Hunwick wrote the greatest goaltending story in college hockey that I've been a part of in the 20 years that I've been doing this. Cause he led Michigan to within an overtime goal of a national championship against Minnesota Duluth in 2011. Mm. And here was a kid that was a walk-on career number three until he literally made history at the NCAA level. Where does that story tie into what you're talking about? It ties into the fact that he was so strong mentally and so believed in himself. And that's not something that happens overnight either. And when we talk about visualization, I'm a big believer that for the goalie, the game starts the night before. And once you get to a certain age, whether it be 14 or 16, I think you need to let the goalies know what game they're going to play so they can start mentally preparing and start visualizing themselves going through saves the night before in bed as they're going to sleep and through the day, they can mentally prepare themselves for what they're going to face that night. Because if they've already played the game in their head, the game gets much easier to play once you put your skates on. 
I thought for myself, and I was no huge success story as a goalie, but to me, the whatever modicum of success that I was able to gain was through the mental preparation leading to the physical preparation of once I put my skates on, got out there, I was ready. And I think for, for what we need to do on the mental side of things, it is so important that we start to establish that part of the practice routine, part of the game routine, part of the learning routine is teaching these kids some inner self-reflection, some inner accountability, and the ability to visualize what their skill set is and what their role is in the game they're about to play. No different than having them go through a practice test in school before they go through it. Like in New York State, right, we have the regents. You do a million practice regents before you actually take the region because you're now you're visualizing the question. The SAT, you're visualizing the questions. I think for athletes, it is so important, the visualization component, because that helps lead to some of the mental strength you're going to need. It's a fantastic answer. And I'll, I'll tell you, you know, it's funny, you reminded me of a moment with my kid where he was very anxious about these pre-tests and his homework because he didn't want to get the answer wrong, right? We, we, we've heard this. And his mom, you know, my, my wife said this so well. She goes, they're the practice. They're, they're where you're supposed to mess up so you can prepare for the test. And I thought when she said that, what a great lesson he just learned, right? And I, I wonder- well, I'll give you another one. Let me give you yeah. another one right here. This just happened. I just did the Michigan-Penn State game last Friday night. And yeah. in preparing for the game, I'm talking to Sean Hunwick, who's the first-year interim head coach at the University of Michigan. Not Sean Hunwick. Uh, Brandon Arado. I have Hunwick on the brain now. And Brandon <laughs> is an elite-level skills coach. He was a skills coach at the Red Wings. He was assistant coach at Michigan. He was a good player at Michigan. And so he's got a really young team, which is kind of the mantra at Michigan anyway. They got a lot of one-and-dones and two-and-dones. They got a lot of high-end kids. And I said to him, you know, with, with, with this younger team, it's a little different when you play some of these older teams because there's just more hockey sophistication with some of these bigger, older, heavier clubs you're going to face. And he said, Dave, he goes, here's what we have to do in practice. He goes, we know that the experience that these kids have doesn't necessarily match up to what some of the teams that we're playing against. So our mantra in practice is fail forward. Mm -hmm. We need them to make mistakes. We want them to make mistakes. We're going to teach them through their mistakes. We're going to hold them accountable. We're not going to yell and scream. We're not going to light guys up in a video room. We're not going to embarrass anybody. We've created a safe learning environment for these players. We're not going to just let them float, but we've created a safe learning environment where they can go make a mistake and we can fail forward. I think the term fail forward is an important one for sports. It's an important one for youth coaches, mentally and physically, because my kid fights that, that stigma of if I make a mistake, I'm not going to play anymore. And that goes to the one of the idiots that he played for when when he was at 13 and 14 you. And I think that the, the philosophy of I need to go out and play the game the right way. But if I make a mistake, is somebody going to be there to teach me how to mm -hmm. do it correctly and rebuild my confidence as opposed to I get back to the bench and I get the look or whatever, and I never get any better and I never get past it. Man, parents, coaches, rewind this episode two minutes and listen to that again. That was really well put and fail forward is 100%. We got to teach and you got to teach your kids not to fear failure because it's the only way you're going to learn. Uh, and this goes back to what we were saying before about the kid putting in 50 goals, the little rainbows into the net, not failing enough on those little nets. You're going to fail a lot and it's yep. good because you're going to learn same thing for the goalies, right? And the skaters, uh, Mike, before I close this out, I wanted to throw it over to you. If you had any final questions, Dave, you've been fantastic. No, I mean, I just, like I said, I, my, my, uh, my only recommendation with Dave is to, you know, follow him on. He does a, he does 100%. a, uh, a session on the coach's site. He has great, uh, you know, he's always sending out some really great stuff on Twitter and, 
Instagram too. Now I think he's really he's really uh, getting out there in the social media world. But he has to, but I like he does... the Instagram thing. It's by the way, Instagram is yeah, yeah. so serene. It's like a <laughs> Zen garden to me. Twitter to me is a nightmare, but Instagram has become a very soothing place to be. I've noticed right. in the social yeah. media world. Yeah, and you have some great stuff on there, and I think it's just like one of those things where I I try to you know I'm 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 involved with so much hockey that I try to find people I can just digest little pieces from, and I think you know Dave's content is great, and 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 certainly if you get a chance to live it, listen to him on one of the live broadcasts uh, in the college hockey world, you know they are great, they're really informative. Uh, if you could follow it or, or along on Twitter, you get to rip him apart a little bit, and he he rips right back. So that's, why he, that's why he loves <laughs> Twitter good. so much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah it's a, it's a real what. cesspool out there. But but again, you get to really listen and, and and I think educate yourself to the game and just pick up all those little things because I think one of the things that I uh, tell people about Dave is that he's in the room with er- the best college hockey coaches there are in the country, and if he can give us something from the room. You know, I don't need to be in the room. You know, he's get, he's getting us that information. And I think just hearing just the little like tidbits of information that come out of there that you can use at your own kids and your own players, uh, you know, is gold. You know, what's what's interesting, Mike and, and Lee, here's this. That's a good point. I mean, I, I don't mind being a conduit of sharing a lot. And the college coaches, I always say to them, do you mind if I share this, whether it be on air or whether it be with youth coaches or whatever? And, and they're like all for it. I think one of the great parts about my job is there are, what are there, 61 division one college programs right now. And, you know, I get to talk to all of them and learn something from every one of them. But the neat thing about these and coaches, listen to what I'm telling you right now, because this, this is how you get to the next level. Coaches are the greatest thieves in the world. They steal from everybody. And that's why they're so good. Jack Parker was a legendary college coach at Boston university. Always joke with me. I hadn't have, I haven't had an original idea in my coaching career, I've stolen everything. And you know what? That might make him the brightest coach that's ever coached because he stole everything that seemed to work. And he figured out how to take stuff from one program and embed it into his program and make it work for him and his players and his identity and his vision. So coaches, none of us know it all. And I've been at this 37 years, and I feel like every day I'm learning something new about the game, about coaching, about tactics, about strategy. I had a conversation prior to my broadcast Friday night with Jerry Keefe at Northeastern, who I think is one of the brightest offensive coaches in our game today. And we're talking about a couple of different concepts. And I've always considered myself a really good teacher of how to back check and defensive zone play. And he enlightened me to something that I never even thought of when it came to that topic. And I've been, that was my master's for USA hockey. So you can learn from everybody, ask other coaches questions, whether it levels below you or above you, but talk about the game, share knowledge, challenge other coaches challenge your belief because again none of us know it all and if you close your mind to the fact that there's nothing else out there to learn you are not only doing yourself a disservice but more importantly you're doing your players in the game a disservice so keep your mind open keep learning it's the best part about my job i learn something new about this game every day well if that didn't convince you to follow this man (laughs) i don't know what's going to and and uh Dave, I'm going to end it on that. I want all of the listeners, if you found value, which I know you did, follow Dave Starman everywhere. All right. This this is a guy who generally, we didn't talk about this, generally cares about your kids and their development. All right. I, I, I just see from your tweets every once in a while that, you know, hey, do this, look at this, find this. It's not just the 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 the, the broadcast side of things, right? So please find a way to follow this man um, and also follow us, right? We we appreciate that too. On Twitter, we're OKPH Podcast and then our kids play hockey everywhere else. Um 
Dave, fantastic episode. We're going to have to have you back. Uh, just a lot of insight today. And again, you just said at the end, we want to learn. I learned a lot today just from talking to you. So thank you so much sincerely for being here. Well, I appreciate you having me. And, and I, like I said, I just think that it's, we have a great game. And our job as the gatekeepers of the game now, as we're all getting a little older, is to make sure that we can do something every day to make the game better for the younger players here in North America, right? Whether the U.S., Canada, wherever, each and every day we have an obligation to try to make the game better for them. And if we do that, then five years, 10 years, and 20 years down the road, there'll be no game better to play than ours. And that's what we want. We want a healthy youth sport. And I think slowly but surely we're getting a chance to do that. Amen, brother. And and again, people like you are making it happen. And and like you said, steal slash learn, right? <laughs> that's, that's one of the reasons we created this show is that we can share that information. I think that's one of the reasons that people have flocked to it is because we're having those conversations that are just not happening enough uh, in the hockey environment. And you're a huge uh, ambassador of that. And we thank you again. And um, as I said, audience, if you found value in this episode, share it in your team snaps, share it in your, in your team chats, share it with the goalies on your team and the players to let them know that uh, we're trying to spread that word. Uh, and again, all the episodes can be found at ourkidsplayhockey.com or wherever podcasts can be heard. So for Dave Starman and Mike Benelli, I'm Lee Elias. This has been a, Great episode of Our Kids Play Goalie, subset of Our Kids Play Hockey. Make sure to tune in every week when new episodes come out on Saturday mornings. Um, and again, we once again just want to thank you, audience, for being the best in the business. So with that said, have a great week, everybody. We'll see you next time on Our Kids Play Hockey. Take care. We hope you enjoyed this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey. Make sure to like and subscribe right now if you found value wherever you're listening, whether it's a podcast network, a social media network, or our website, ourkidsplayhockey.com. Also, make sure to check out our children's book, When Hockey Stops, at whenhockeystops.com. It's a book that helps children deal with adversity in the game and in life. We're very proud of it. But thanks so much for listening to this edition of Our Kids Play Hockey, and we'll see you on the next episode.